Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. It is a delight to be here with Ariel Berger, who is a rabbi, teacher, and artist. He's the author of Witness, Lessons from Ellie Wiesel's Classroom, very important book to check out, and is the founder of the Witness Institute, very exciting work. Visit him at www.arielberger, with a U, arielberger.com. Rabbi Dr. Ariel Berger, nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. Nice to see you, too. It's been a while. Thank you so much. So, um, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman, there's so much to say about Rabbi Nachman. I don't know how we can say it in such a short time. But tell me, just to start us off, what was the appeal? What's the appeal for you of the Torah of Rabbi Nachman? And how did this connect with your story? How did he enter your life? And how does he stay in your life? Yeah, well, I grew up in a somewhat complex Jewish environment or set of environments. I went to a basically Haredi elementary school, a modern Orthodox high school. And my parents were in different places, both very lively, vibrant, engaged places, but different. And I was, from an early age, I was torn between my relationship with Torah learning and tradition and text and the discipline of being in a tradition, in the Jewish tradition, on the one hand, and being an artist. I was, I was very artsy from a young age. So I was always doodling in the margins of the Gemara when we were learning. And I was uh, really kind of, I had a relationship with time that is typical of artists, where you stay up all night painting or drawing or making music or writing poetry, uh, as opposed to the standard traditional Jewish relationship with time, which is it's man kriyoshma, you have to do things by certain times. And so I had a lot of questions about the relationship between those two things. And, and really on one foot, I think I was looking from an early age, from my teenage years on for a, for a way that um, really can integrate those two things, the discipline and the rootedness of tradition and legacy and lineage and heritage and the beauty and the celebration of Torah learning and Torah life, and also the sense that I can be myself and wildly creative. Where do those things come together? That led me to Hasidut. And when I discovered Hasidut through a few different teachers in, uh, in Israel, the first one was really Ruti Yair Nussbaum, who's an amazing teacher in Yerushalayim, who was my counselor on a summer program called Nisia, and she introduced us to uh, some Hasidic teachings and Yigunim and things. That really started to open something up. And then along the way, Rabbi Nachman became the headquarters for this. And, and I saw that there's an entire world within Rabbi Nachman's teachings, which is both wild and deeply grounded in Torah and Torah text. Mm. So Rabbi Nachman can be relevant to all of us, but who is the type of, of learner you would meet that you say, oh, you need Rabbi Nachman, right? Who is the type of person who you feel like this is someone who really should throw themselves in? Well, there's a few things we have to remember. First of all, Rabbi Nachman represents a, a kind of revolution within a revolution because the Hasidic movement itself was a revolution. It was a revival of 
spirituality and subjectivity and the idea that you can, any one of you, any, anywhere, coming from any background, with any worldview and any personal struggle and any identity and any complexity, you can serve Hashem, you can connect to the oneness of creation and its creator from where you are. That was Hasidut. By the time you get to Rabbi Nachman, a few generations later, Hasidut had become more uh, ossified. It was beginning to become more about um, certain ways of doing things. It was the next round where revolutions become the new, the new um, regime, right? The new, the new kind of standard, um, rigid, sometimes fanatical regime. Now that's an exaggeration about early Hasidut, but there was a sense that there needed to be a new revival in Rabbi Nachman, as well as other schools later on in Poland. Uh, Rabbi Nachman represents a, rev a revolution within a revolution. So the idea that anyone can connect from any place is fundamental to not only to Rabbi Nachman, but to Hasidut and to the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. So in that sense, I think anyone can connect to Rabbi Nachman, and we all need that kind of depth of Torah and of storytelling and of uh, ways of connecting and bringing, bringing the entire structure and scaffolding of Yiddishkeit to life. And it's also important to remember, and this is historically fascinating, that in Rabbi Nachman's lifetime, he had maybe 200 Hasidim. And now there's, of course, a big kind of renaissance in interest in Rabbi Nachman, in Israel, in uh, academic studies, and even in, in writers and literary uh, works uh, from, you know, uh, Anne Royfi to Robert Pinsky to um, Howard Thurman, who quote, the great theologian who quotes Rabbi Nachman and, um, and many others. So, you know, you have this sense that Rabbi Nachman is sort of ubiquitous now and there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of diversity within the Breslov community and the outsiders who are interested in Rabbi Nachman. And that diversity is something that Rabbi Nachman called out 200 something years ago. He said, I'm going to make you all hitot, hitot. You're gonna have a lot of different classrooms of my path, a lot of different expressions. So for me, the question is not who, who's Rabbi Nachman for? Because I think really everyone needs his, I believe that everyone can benefit from, uh, from his Torah and his approach. And we can talk about why. I believe that. Um, but the question is more, how do you find a way in and a way of expressing it that's genuine and authentic to who you are and where you're coming from and the world that you inhabit? Rabbi Nachman and Breslover Hasidim and that path doesn't require a certain kind of mode of dress or a certain liturgy of prayer or a certain way of voting or any of that stuff. And so there's capacity for great diversity in that, unlike other groups where you have to really sign up. You know, in Breslov, you don't really have to do that. You, you, you follow certain practices in your life in the context of your Ashkenazi or Sephardi or other or modern or postmodern or Haredi or modern Orthodox or centrist Orthodox or progressive life. Wherever it is, you do those practices, you can be in this path and you can consider yourself a Breslov or Hasid. So that's, you know, that's sort of an opening for all of us to connect. So what's, what's the relationship between the creativity, experience, and transcendence of Rabbi Nachman and moral witness? That's to say, you don't think of Rebbe Nachman as an ethicist. He's not immoral, or amoral, but he's a spiritualist, not an ethicist. And yet moral witness is about our, our role in justice today, our role in moral development, our, our role in responding to evil, and more, and much more. But what's the relationship between the spirituality of Rebbe Nachman and the moral imperatives of today? It's a great question. It's a, it's a very, very Rishmuli question. It's an important Rishmuli <laughs> question. I love when I watch your videos and I hear that question moral witness or moral action and fill in the blank of whoever you're talking to. That's really an important theme throughout all these conversations. It's so important today. Um, Rabbi Nachman actually said there are two different categories included in his teachings. One is, one is Tikkun Hamidos, 
and one is Tikkun Akhlali. And Tikkun Amidos is really working on character traits and working on specific moral and ethical issues, um, particularly having to do with derech and interpersonal behavior. And this is not the perception a lot of people have of Rabbi Nachman's Torah or of Breslov or Hasidim, but it's really important to emphasize that there are moments in Rabbi Nachman's teachings where he says things like, you know, um, children of kings and czars can come to us and learn midos, nimuse hamalchus. They can learn sort of royal sensitivity and behavior for the court. If they want to learn how to behave with the highest level of sensitivity, they should come to us, to our group, because that's what we're about. Rabbi Nachman on his own deathbed, there's, it's recorded that he, he fixed, he adjusted the, the cuff of his sleeve because it was a little bit off and he wanted it to be perfect because he was interested in Derek Eretz. Now that's in counterpoint to a lot of what you find in the Breslov community. There's a lot of wildness, there's a lot of kind of chaos in the service of connecting to Hashem beyond bounds and beyond vessels, but there are both energies there. And so Rabbi Nachman said that's Tikkun Amidos and Tikkun Akhlali is what we call spiritual. It's sort of the, the general archetypal work that we have to do of connecting to the oneness. Both of those things are important because if we're connected to oneness and having a great spiritual experience, but we're running past people on our way to the Kotel and pushing them aside, you know, we're missing something very important. And also if we're only focused on the horizontal, then we're losing something as well. So I think they're both really important. And the person who brought this home to me, and I was very lucky to have teachers, Breslover teachers, um, the primary one is Rav Natan Greenberg, uh, Shlita Vadaim Yeshiva, and, um, and he's really very rooted in Breslov lineage and is also very creative and, and you know, progressive and postmodern. Um, and, but there were other teachers as well. But one of my teachers in Breslov, one of my teachers in Rabbi Nachman, of course, was Eli Wiesel of Blessed Memory. And Professor Wiesel would quote Rabbi Nachman stories in response to current events, issues of racism, human rights abuses, war and conflict around the world. And he would speak about Rabbi Nachman's teachings about absurdity or about laughter or about the need to do things that are crazy sometimes in responding to what's out there. And sometimes as a moral activist or moral witness, you have to work within the system and you have to work with for subtle incremental change. But sometimes you have to see when you encounter something that's just evil, or you see such radical indifference that you recognize that you have to shake things up. Sometimes you have to do something that seems a little bit crazy or beyond the pale. That's a category in Rabbi Nachman, right? I, don't, I, I, I can't think of that as, as a category. It might be there, I'm not saying it's not, but it's not something I find easily at least in Rambam or, or even in the Gemara. I mean, I think there are places in the Gemara certainly where that shows up, but Rabbi Nachman provides a lens to find those things in the Gemara and to find those things in Tanakh and to find those things in Kabbalah. And that emphasis on freedom, radical freedom, um, explains a lot of why Eli Wiesel was very influenced by Rabbi Nachman by why uh, it explains why Reb Menachem Froman, of blessed memory, was really deeply influenced by Rabbi Nachman, and why Rav Shagar was deeply influenced by Rabbi Nachman, and, and other, many others, because they drew on this power of freedom and uh, kind of uh, alertness and awakening beyond the realm of the uh, consensus assumptions, the invisible assumptions that often run and define our lives and that also define our society and allow for injustice. So that's a place where Rabbi Nachman's teachings become very front and center for me when I look at the world and I think about what's my place in it and how do I act as a moral witness. Totally. I love that. I love that. And the spiritual awakening is, is subversive. 
because you break out of the mold of conformity and out of uh, out of the rope to radically awaken yourself and right. and uh, and and what can be discovered in encountering others in the world in such moments and uh, how do you develop the courage to do that yeah. it's it, there's the inner work involved which you know about very well we've talked about before and 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 the question is now how do i find practices that help me to do that work of building my my inner courage or my um, my atzmiut, my sense of uh, liberation from what other people think of me or letting go of kavod or the search for kavod, any of that stuff, all of that comes to the inner practice and ultimately comes to the practice of hitbodidut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I normally wouldn't quote someone else in an interview, but in this case, I'll quote your wife, who was just reflecting recently on, um, on what it means to be alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and actually see your authentic self in that moment that you can see, you can discover yourself when you strip away the presence of this, the social presence. And I think you're touching on, this, on a similar theme. Let me ask you one more question, something you could talk about for hours. But a lot of people are in despair based on their personal experience um, and based upon things in the world uh, now and always. What is Rebbe Nachman, what, what, what can he tell us about despair? What can he tell us about hope within despair? So Rabbi Nachman famously, at a certain point late in his life, late in his short life, he died at 38. So late in his life means he was 37, 37 and a half or something like that. He was sitting with a Hasidim and he, he threw his head back and he yelled out in Yiddish, there's no despair in the world at all. And one of the rest of the teachers I, I've had contact with uh, describes Lukutei Moharan, the main work of Rabbi Nachman's teachings, his Torah teachings, as as a guidebook for avoiding despair in lots of different specific areas. And each teaching is about a different subject. So how do you, how do you avoid despair in the realm of your Torah study? How do you avoid despair in the realm of prayer? How do you avoid despair in the realm of tzedakah and chesed? How do you avoid despair in looking at the world and seeing that the world is really broken? Or looking at the world and seeing that the world seems to be so fragmented. And it's very difficult to find the oneness and the unity and the love underlying things. Um, and by the way, anyone who's interested in that subject, I, I would point them to Torah 33 in the Kutei Moran, which is one of the most powerful Torahs because it's, it's about the unity of everything and the multiplicity of the world, the way we experience it. And so it's about our experience of the world, our honest experience of the world as broken, but also at the underlying wholeness. And the relationship between that wholeness and brokenness is something that gives me a lot of strength when I'm doing my work in the world. Rabbi Nachman called out, there's no despair in the world, and he taught what some people describe as a, a derech of hitchazkut, a derech of self-encouragement, and a kind of science, so to speak, of how to work with your own mind to avoid giving up, not to avoid necessarily the emotion of despair. You can describe despair as an emotion, and I think Rabbi Nachman's okay with that, but the move, the actual decision to give up, is something that he was so against. And you know, famously, the Breslau Rechassidim in the Warsaw Ghetto had that quote outside their shul um, when they were in, in unbelievably terrible circumstances leading towards even darker circumstances. And the eyewitness testimony we have is that they danced with the same fervor that they had before the war. Mm -hmm. Somehow they internalized this teaching wow. that there's no despair under any circumstances. And the question is now, how do you operationalize that? How do you make that into a set of practices? And there are a lot of things to say. I'll point to three quick things. One is Hitbodidut, which my wife talked about, and I saw Reb David Sears also talked about, um, both of them very beautifully. And there's a lot of material out there 
on Hitorudut. I also wrote a short introduction to Hitorudut that I'm happy to share with you and maybe others if they're interested. But the idea is that you have a lot of liturgical prayer in Judaism, but there's a place for completely unscripted, spontaneous, subjective conversation with God every day. And I do this, it's the bedrock of my religious life and spiritual practice and my sense of hope and how I process things that are difficult. It's my hippodidut, it goes into my hippodidut when I wake up in the morning every day. And so that's number one, that's the first thing you need as a bedrock to be able to avoid despair and frankly to process any difficult emotions or, or situations or to figure out strategy for, for responses to difficult things. Number two is Rabbi Nachman emphasizes the need for a friend. This is something that Elie Wiesel also emphasized, the need for friendship. There are certain things we really can't do alone. We need each other. And so the practice that Rabbi Nachman taught was sichas chaverim, was talking to a friend every day, ideally. It could be once a week if that's what you can do. But it's uh, sort of like a chavruta, and you're not talking about a Torah text. You're talking about a life text. You're talking about something that's going on in your life. And you're getting support. You're getting clarity. You're getting a mirror. You're having someone help you, challenge you, coach you, support you, encourage you. Um, and that's really critically important. And the third thing is in the Hakdama to Lukutei Maharan, in the introduction to Rabbi Nachman's book, he says, you know, all of, there are a lot of ideas in this book. And it's true. If you look in the book, it's, it's, it's intimidating in certain ways because the ideas are very exalted. There's a tradition that the, every single teaching is for everyone at every level. And the only time, one of the only times Rabbi Nachman got angry at people was when they said, you know, your Torah is too, it's too highfalutin for us. We're simple people. He got angry at that because he, he knew that all of this, even the most exalted ideas are for everyone. And in the Hakdama, it says, the whole point of this is, Lo ha it's not about learning and spinning our wheels. It's not about cerebral engagement or encounter with text. It's about application. So the third thing to avoid despair is to do something, even if it's small. And sometimes our, our Yetzirah, you know, our, our evil inclination fools us into thinking that if we're not doing something that's massive or has major scale or has a lot of impact or followers or is quantitatively large, it's not significant. One of the first things Rabbi Nachman said to his, the person who would become his closest student, Rav Nassim of Breslov, about whom I wrote my dissertation, by the way, I spent a lot of years in Rav Nassim's head and it was a very beautiful experience. Um, and a lot to say about Reb Nassan. But Reb Nassan was a person who put a lot of pressure on himself. And Rabbi Nachman said to him, a bissel is like good, a little bit is also good. So a little bit is fine, just do something. Mm -hmm. And um, a way of confronting and going beyond despair in these days when we see racial injustice and human suffering and tremendous fragmentation and a breakdown in our discourse and our ability to process things in, in, in deep language with sensitivity and compassion and all of the challenges that we see, we face despair. So do it, Boda, do it. Find a friend to connect to, to get support and do something. It could be something very small. It could be putting literally a coin in a tzedakah box. It could be making a phone call to somebody who you know is isolated and struggling. It could be anything, but it's gotta be lamaisa. It's gotta be action. That's one of the critical things that I've learned. And I'm someone who by nature can spend a lot of time just thinking about issues. So it's important for me to know that Rabbi Nachman says, you, enough thinking, go do something now. That'll help you find hope. Yeah, yeah, I love it, I love it. You, that was so articulate. And I don't know how you conveyed so much in just a few minutes. Thank you, friends, you have to check out, you have to check out the great book, Witness Lessons from Ellie Wiesel's Classroom. You gotta check out the Witness Institute and you gotta check out arielberger.com. Reb Ariel, thanks so much. Thank you, take good care.